Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today it's part two of the Gospel of John, chapter seven. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Solomon is praying and fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice, just like out in the desert. So they know God is pleased. God is accepting this offering. And guess what? The glory of the Lord filled the temple. So much smoke and Shekinah glory that the priests had to get out of the temple. It was full of the cloud, the glory cloud of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And all the people just kept saying, for he is good, his mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Now, Solomon kept that feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly just as God had prescribed. Solomon offered 22,000 cattle to be sacrificed during that Feast of Tabernacles. He offered 120,000 sheep and goats to be sacrificed. So the temple priests were busy preparing all those sacrifices, draining the blood from the animals for the atonement of sin of Israel. Solomon does it big when he does it. In fact, God said there only had to be one menorah and one table of shoe bread. Solomon put 10. He built 10 menorahs and 10 temples of shoe bread in his temple. Nothing too good for the Lord. Not from Solomon, that is. The richest king in all the land. God said, as for you, Solomon, if, if you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all I have commanded you, and if... If Solomon, you keep my statutes and my judgments, then you'll always have a man as ruler of Israel from this tribe, Judah. But if, if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast it out of my sight. Guess what Solomon did? How long did that temple last? If you do this, I will do this. If you do that, I will do that. This temple only lasted 371 years. Not long in Israel's history because they didn't follow the way of the Lord. They turned to other gods. It was destroyed by Babylon in 586 BC. And scripture says, as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passed by it will be astonished. And they will say, well, why has the Lord done this to the land and this house? And they'll answer, because they forsook the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They embraced other gods. They worshiped other gods. They served other gods. And therefore God has brought calamity upon them. It's not a very good witness to the God of Israel. Then Cyrus the Great is in charge from Persia. And in 539 BC, King Cyrus of Persia conquered Babylon and he overtook the Babylonian empire and Persia was ruling. And in his first year, he issued a decree and you'll never believe what he said. King Cyrus, king of Persia says, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem at Judah. He's not even Jewish and he's going to rebuild the temple. He gives the orders that everyone should start giving gold and silver, gold and silver, gold and silver, and that you can go back and you can go back to Jerusalem and you can rebuild the temple. So in 537 BC, the prince of Judah named Shezbazar at the time returns with 50,000 Jews back to Jerusalem from Babylon. Some stayed. They didn't want to go back. They didn't want to give up their Babylonian possessions. But the faithful remnant that went back, they returned and they rebuilt first things first, the altar, so that they could sacrifice. And I'll give you one guess what feast day it was. The Feast of 
Tabernacles. The one we're studying tonight. I want you to know the history of this feast. They celebrated tabernacles in Ezra 3 before the temple was even, before the foundation was even laid. They built an altar and they burned offerings for seven days and offerings and offerings from morning to evening. They kept the festival of booths from the first day of the seventh month. They began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord before the foundation of the temple was even laid. It was the Feast of Tabernacles, seventh month. And in 536 BC, those once exiled returnees are laying the foundation and they have to stop. They're in war again. There's opposition. That temple, number two, will not be completed until years later in 515 BC. And guess what? Ezra is sent. He's a priest of the Lord. He's sent to read the law to the people. And guess what festival it is? The Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the seventh month, and they're dedicating this temple again. Ezra means Yahweh has helped. Yahweh had helped them rebuild the temple, and Ezra reads the law, and they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, and they assemble, and there's great rejoicing. They kept the seven-day festival, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the eternal ordinance. It's perpetual ordinance. So there's a wave of rebuilding this thing. They finally get this temple rebuilt. But there's one problem. And what's the problem? There's no Ark of the Covenant. It's gone. There's no Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies inside the temple. Why? Because you must remember 2 Maccabees 2. Jeremiah hid the Ark when the Babylonians were coming. Jeremiah took that Ark and he put it up in a cave. And people went to follow him to try to see where it was. And the cave was sealed. And they couldn't find it. It was gone. They couldn't find the Ark of the Covenant. The true presence of God was gone. And so when Jeremiah learns that they're looking for it, he rebukes them. And he said, this place will remain unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows his mercy. Don't even look for it. God will tell us when the time is. God will tell us when we need to find the Ark. And how will God tell us? The glory of the Lord in the cloud will appear. Well, guess what? (laughs) One day, the glory of the Lord in the cloud did appear over a new ark of a new covenant. The cloud did appear again. The cloud of the Holy Spirit overshadowed this vessel of grace and purity. A virgin girl in Nazareth by the name of Mary. Oh, hail, ho, highly favored daughter. Oh, highly graced daughter. And she says, yes, Lord, yes, yes, be it done unto me according to your word. And the glory of the Lord fills her temple. And no one else can come in ever. Get it? Now, within nine months and 40 days, why do I say nine? We know nine months for pregnancy and 40 days because that's the time when Jesus will be presented at the temple. And it'll be the purification according to the law of Moses. He'll be brought for presentation on day 40, and they will bring an offering to redeem him. It's the feast of redemption of the firstborn son. He has to be bought back. (laughs) Remember that. When they walk in, after nine months and 40 days, the Ark of the Covenant is back in the temple. The true presence of God is in the temple. And Simeon knows it. Simeon is full of the Holy Spirit. He's been waiting his whole life to see the consolation of Israel, to see Messiah. And he knows. He knows the new Ark is Mary. He knows there's a new covenant within her womb. There was a new covenant. There was authority. And there was the true bread of life. 
All the contents of the ark are there. Simeon knows by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is who we've been waiting for. The true presence of God is back in the temple. Simeon knows it. Anna knows it. Mary knows it. Joseph knows it. And Simeon, who was waiting, had the Holy Spirit come on him. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, Lord. What's his baby's name? Salvation. God saves. Yeshua. I've seen salvation. Literally. You've prepared for the presence of all people of all time, a revelation, a glorious light to the Gentiles and the consolation of Israel. This is Messiah. He knows it. Now, I think Jesus Christ was born on the Feast of Tabernacles, and I'll tell you about that next time. But it's fascinating. <laughs> Tabernacles was a feast for all the nations, the only Jewish feast that was for all the nations. It's called Sukkot, and it's one of the three required pilgrim feasts for the Jews. And it was for every country. They invited everyone to come. The theme was that all the nations will go up and worship the king and keep the feast. It's a king feast. And God is king over all the world. They knew that God was the God of all people. They were to be a light to the other nations. And so even to this day, people from all over the world come to Israel, come to Jerusalem for tabernacles. And here's what it says in Zechariah. And it'll come to pass that everyone who has left all of the nations which have come up against Israel shall go up from year to year and worship the king and the Lord of hosts and keep the feast of tabernacles. And they do to this day. It's the biggest tourism in Israel. At that time, they would offer 70 bulls during this eight-day feast. 70 bulls were offered. That's a lot of bull. <laughs> and I mean it. Those priests were busy draining blood, slitting throats, draining the animals. You know, the blood was for the atonement. They'd roast the meat, all that. 70. Why 70? Because 70 was the number of nations. They believed there were 70 nations in the world and one bull for every nation for atonement for sin. Israel's atoning for the sin of all the world, not just the Jews. All the nations would come to know the one true God of Israel. That was their hope. 70 is the number of Jacob's family that went out, 70. 70 is the number of those palm trees we saw in the middle of the desert in that oasis. There were 70 palm trees and 12 springs of water. Why 70 nations? This is going to be a worldwide blessing. God knew way back when Moses made that blood covenant in Exodus 24. He took 70 people up the mountain, 70 of the elders, and they got to eat with God Almighty. They beheld God. They ate and drank with God bread. All nations, 70, broke bread with God symbolically. Way back then, all 70 nations got to see God's face. No one had ever seen God's face. Those 70 elders got to see God's face that day. Now, we talked last time that the spring feasts of Israel had been fulfilled by Jesus. He doesn't abolish the law. He fulfills it. Passover is his death. He's the Passover lamb. Unleavened bread, he's hidden in the linen, the shroud. That's his burial. First fruits, resurrection from the dead. He's the first fruit of a new creation. He's fulfilled all those spring feasts. 50 days they wait. Five, oh, Torah, fullness, 50. Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the new law of love. There are three pilgrim feasts that every Jewish male in the southern kingdom of Judah must attend. Passover, Pentecost, and tabernacles is what we're studying today. Every able-bodied male in the southern kingdom must go up to Jerusalem. On those three feast days, this is important, the priests would bring out the table of bread of the presence. 
Now it is in the holy place, in the tabernacle. He would hold it up. They had these poles and several priests would hold this table up and they would shout to all the pilgrims who had come, behold God's love for you. And they'd hold up this bread. It's the only time people ever got to see it, ever. Let's talk about that shoe bread on that table. There's 12 loaves. It's talked about in Leviticus 24. It has to be the choicest flour. Aaron's family is going to have to consume that bread in a holy place. The portions go to the Lord. You're going to take the best flour. It has to be put on gold. He explains exactly how to make the gold table for the bread. And it's very interesting because that bread is going to stay there for seven days. It can't get moldy, so it needs proper ventilation. And there's incense that burns, and they put the incense with salt, and it's constantly circulating air. And you can constantly, in the Holy of Holies, smell bread, like fresh baked bread. And they had a special mold called the chet shape. It fit right in there, right in there, so that you would never want to drop this and fall it and have the loaf slip off. So it's ventilated, the air is moving, the smell is prominent in the holy place. And it's a big deal, this bread baking in the temple. A certain family of priests just were the bread bakers. 28 ventilation tubes, 14 in each pile, open only at one end. They found the designs of the table of the bread of the presence. Put frankincense in each row. It's going to be a token offering for the bread, an offering of fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath, Aaron would have to come and change out the bread. It was a perpetual, 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 unending bread of the presence in the Holy of Holies. Every seventh day, fresh hot loaves brought in. The priest had to eat the old loaves, the seven-day-old ones, and they tasted fabulous. They were fresh, and they were still warm. The frankincense that was removed was a special oblation to God. Twelve loaves were all meticulously the same size, same form, same cut, everything. And in Leviticus 22, if a priest was unclean, he couldn't eat it. Oh, you had to be clean to eat this bread of the presence. You couldn't have any mortal sin on your soul. Interesting. <laughs> no layman, no daughter married to a layman, no hired servant could eat this shoe bread, but a purchased slave or those born in the house could eat it. What's that mean? That means you have to be redeemed. Like Jesus was redeemed at his presentation. He's bought back. He's the firstborn son. You had to be redeemed to eat the shoe bread. You had to be in communion with the law. <laughs> Eight priests would pass this for fellowship. They would eat it. They would break it apart and eat it in the holy place. There's a special room for baking the bread, 12 loaves in the inner temple every week, and they were eaten still fresh by the priest. After seven days, they had to consume every single crumb. Not one crumb could be left behind. Does that sound familiar? No sin on your soul. You can't leave a single crumb behind. You have to be clean. You have to be redeemed. You have to be in communion. Priests brought the new offering every Shabbat and took the old loaves off and went in a communal room and had fellowship and ate every drop of the bread in that chamber of the shoe bread, that holy bread. And they said the bread made them holy. Twelve loaves were always in the holy place in the temple, always before the Lord. And on festivals, the table would be raised to all the pilgrims and the priests would call out, behold, how precious you are to God. Behold how much God loves you. And the people would just look at the bread. And the bread was removed. This is in the Mishnah. The bread was removed as required, but though seven days had passed, they are still hot as if freshly baked. 
This was one of the miracles experienced in the Holy Temple, revealed to all that the divine presence indeed rested there. The rabbis further relate that when the breads were distributed to the priest, each received a measure the size of a bean seed, and yet they ate it and were completely satiated. They were completely satisfied. They were completely full from a bean-sized piece. Interesting. (laughs) The priest would bring out the table of the bread of the present, hold it up for the pilgrims three times a year. Behold God's love for you, this bread. In the Old Testament, that bread was called continual bread, continual shoe bread, or bread of the row, bread of the arrangement. But the word in Hebrew is lakim ha-penin, and it is literally bread of the face. Bread of the face of God. Lakim ha-penin, bread of the face, bread of the true presence, bread of the face of God. So when Jesus in John 6 said, I am the bread. He's saying, I am Lakim Hapanim. I am the bread of the face of God. That's what he still says to us. You say you haven't seen Jesus. Yes, you have. He's the face of God. It's right there in your hand. He's looking at you. (laughs) If you eat me, you will be completely satiated. You will be completely fulfilled. You will be completely satisfied. So these three feast days, two spring, one fall, All three feasts, the bread is held up. Today we're talking about tabernacles, a fall feast, the last and great day of atonement. And John writes that Jesus went about in Galilee. He didn't want to go to Judea because the Jews, big J, the authority Jews, were looking for an opportunity to do what? Kill him. And it was the Jewish festival of tabernacles. It's an international festival. People are there from all over the world. They're in these booths. They have to sleep in there. They have to eat in there to remember what it was like in the desert. They've come to Jerusalem for the pilgrim feast. They've built their tabernacles. And his brothers say to him, leave here. Go to Judea so your disciples can see the works you're doing. For no one who wants to be widely known acts in secret, Jesus. If you would do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. These are people from his town, other Jews going down to the festival, Jews from Nazareth, Jews from Galilee. You're Joseph's kid. You're Mary's kid. We saw you in the carpenter shop. We know who you are. Come with us. Let's go. You're required to go. It's the law of Moses. You have to go. And Jesus said, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify against it and the works that it does, which are evil. Go to the festival yourselves. I'm not going to the festival for my time has not yet fully come. Back to the theme of the hour. This isn't the right timing. They're going to kill me. This isn't the time yet. He remained in Galilee, but later, after his brothers had gone to the festival, he also went because he's a good Jew and he obeys Mosaic law. He went not in public, but in secret. The Jews were looking for Jesus at the festival. The big Jews, big J Jews, where is he? And they're complaining. Some were saying, well, he's a good man. And others saying, no, he's not. He's deceiving the crowd. Yet no one would speak openly about him for fear of the Jews. About the middle of the festival, Jesus went up and began to teach. Now, it's an eight-day festival. The middle is day four. Day four is the universal number. He's come for all people, all time. The Jews were astonished. How does this man have such learning? We're, we're, he, he's never been taught. How does he know all this stuff? And Jesus answered them, the teaching's not mine. It's the one who sent me. And they're like, who sent you? Anyone who resolves to do the will of God will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm just speaking on my own. Those who speak on their own seek their own glory. 
And I can imagine he looked right at them. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and there's nothing false in him. Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. Why are you looking for an opportunity to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who's trying to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I performed one work, and all of you were astonished. He's talking about what work that had he done in Jerusalem, John 5. Moses gave you circumcision, not Moses, really the patriarchs, but you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath in order of the law of Moses not be broken, you're not, and you're angry with me, you're circumcising on Sabbath, and you're angry with me for giving man his whole body back on the Sabbath? You take his foreskin and it's fine. If I give him his whole body back, you're, you're going to be mad. You're going to kill me. <laughs> He's referring to the miracle he had done on the Sabbath at the pool of Asclepius, the pagan god. He tells them, do not judge by appearance, judge by right judgment. You all, every single person in here who's been confirmed has right judgment. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. You were given at confirmation. They don't have it yet. Some of the people at Jerusalem were saying, it's not the man who they're trying to kill. There he is. He's speaking openly, but they're not saying anything to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that he is the Messiah? Yet we know where this man's from, but when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. We know he's from Nazareth. He's from Galilee. Didn't Micah say that he has to come from Bethlehem? No, 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 no Messiah is coming from Nazareth, right? Do you guys know the prophets? Anybody here? Anyone? Where's Nicodemus? <laughs> Micah had said the Messiah would come from Bethlehem of Ephrathah. Ah, they don't know where he was born. That was secret. He was born in Bethlehem, which literally means house of bread. The face of the bread of God is, is born from house of bread. He's come to tell people to eat me, drink me. I'm bread of life. They don't know that, but that's good for his protection because what did Satan want to do the moment a virgin had a baby? Devour it. Kill it. Jesus cried out. He's teaching in the temple. I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true and you know him. His hour had not come. They want to arrest him, but it's not time. Now the Pharisees heard this muttering and the chief priests and Pharisees and the temple police came to arrest him. And Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer where I'm going. You guys can't come. And the chief priests and Pharisees said, where does this man intend to go? Is he going to the Greeks? He's going to the diaspora. Is he going to try to teach them? What does he mean by this? Now I have to tell you a couple last things. This ceremony at the Feast of Tabernacles, there's two huge ceremonies and we'll continue it next week. But one is the water libation and one is the light ceremony. And these were being practiced at the time of Jesus. And today is the water libation ceremony. Eight priests singing music. They go down to the pool of Shiloh and draw golden pitchers of water. And the rabbis say, he who has not witnessed the rejoicing of the water drying has never throughout his whole life ever witnessed real rejoicing. This is the highest, highest holiday. There's a great transformation made of the women's court. The women have to stay above the men because the levity of this feast could cause... Mm -mm -mm. They have to be separated, men and women. This feast is so joyful, and it goes all night. <laughs> Golden candelabras were placed in the courtyard of the women's court. Huge candelabras and four ladders to each candelabra. And the young priestly lads had to go as fast as they could and, and take 120-gallon jugs of oil to put into the basin. It was so much light. They called it endless night. They have to cast off their breeches and their belts, and the priests take these and shred them up for wicks. There has never been so much joy in all Jerusalem as this night.
It's so light. You can see everywhere. There's not a courtyard in Jerusalem that can't be seen. And the women even write that you could pick wheat out in the fields because the light coming from the temple, they could see to even be picking wheat. The distinguished priests were having flame torches and doing juggling things and and singing and harps and flutes and dancing. And at dawn, two priests sound the trumpets and they descend down 15 steps. And they're doing the Hillel Psalms every step. And they're saying, we belong to God. We raise our eyes to God. We belong to God. We raise our eyes to God. And they're dancing and singing. And they make a whole parade down to the pool of Shalom. All the people following the priest to get the water from the pool of Siloam. And they're gathering the water. And in the meantime, eight other priests are cutting down these great big willow branches, big, huge willow branches. And the people are waving the willow branches because this feast is going to be a kingly feast. And this is when the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be king of kings and lord of lords. And this wind of the willow branches is making this wind like the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And it's, it's loud. And the people are waving and waving and singing and dancing. And they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, and they're going to pour out the water and the wine, the libation offering. And right when they're going to pour the water, someone steps into the courtyard and cries out in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. And it's Jesus. And they're like, This is the feast where Messiah is supposed to come, King of kings and Lord of lords, and all the nations are there, and they're pouring out the water libation. And Jesus says, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. And he has said this about the Holy Spirit, which believers in him were going to receive. But they hadn't got the Spirit yet because Jesus had not yet been glorified. He has to do the Father's work. Then he has to leave, but he won't leave him orphan because he's going to send the Spirit. And then they're really going to hear wind. Because that living water of the Holy Spirit is going to dwell in their temple. Ezekiel said that that water from the new temple that flows from the sanctuary is going to make everything fresh. Anything that's stagnant is going to be made alive again. And Zechariah said, last scripture, on that day when Messiah comes, living water is going to flow out of Jerusalem. Half to the east, half to the west. It's going to continue all through the summer, all through the winter. And the Lord will become king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one. And his name, one. That's the day. That's the Feast of Tabernacles. When Jesus came into the temple courtyard in John chapter 7. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the living water. Your Holy Spirit wants to live in us. He wants a clean, holy tabernacle where he can sanctuary in. Thank you for the gift of confession, that we can be pure, holy temples to receive you, that the face of God, this bread of life, wants to come into us and tabernacle with us and give us everlasting, eternal life. We praise you, Jesus, for showing us your face in the bread. May we never forget. May we always praise you and say, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the Gospel of John, chapter seven, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.